This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I am so thrilled you've joined me today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, say rejoice. With that, I welcome you into what will be a very interactive edition of Equip. The phone number is 877-LIVE-675. It's 877-548-3675. The topic for today is this. I want to talk about a biblical model for restoration after a brother or sister in Christ has fallen into sin. A biblical model of restoration after a brother or sister in Christ has fallen into sin. So here's my premise or the framing of this conversation. It's the reality that over the past several years, we have had ample supply of numerous stories of high-profile pastors or Christian leaders who have fallen into sin. Now, behind those headline-grabbing stories are the lesser-known stories of ordinary Christian men and women who were overtaken by sin that damaged them, their families, and their churches. Sometimes these uh, moments come as a result of somebody who has malice of intent, but more often than not, it comes because of weakness of the flesh in an area of life that leads into a season of sin that causes tremendous damage. But here's my question for you uh, that I want us to discuss today. What does restoration look like in these circumstances? If a Christian experiences a moral failure, let's just say sexually or financially, or maybe it is because of their anger or uh, just toxic behavior, what does restoration look like? Should there be restoration? What is the role of the church in holding Christians accountable in seeing, you know, I grew up in a church that um, kind of progressed in our understanding of handling these situations, these kind of situations. Um, it, a lot of it, uh, and this is true for many churches, falls on the pastor to try to mediate, uh, in particular, if the sin is between or involving multiple persons or families within the church. And I think that's a lot of weight to put on the lap of one pastor. And so uh, in ministry, early on in ministry, uh, I thought it would be wise to put together um, a committee that would handle these type of situations comprising both men and women who were uh, well-respected within our church family, that were mature, that knew the word of God, to help to advise me and sometimes help to uh, handle situations that could relieve some of that pressure from me alone. Um, but, but in this day and age, 
even saying that is somewhat controversial because for some, the debate is over whether or not churches should even have the authority to speak into the moral behavior of um, uh, a member of the church. Uh, A lot of times we kind of presuppose, if you will, uh, that you uh, and I have no obligation to one another when the New Testament actually gives us a radically different picture of the local church, that not only are we spiritually a spiritual family, but we actually have an obligation to one another. I'll get to get back to that more in a moment, but uh, this becomes immensely more complicated for a local church when it is actually uh, the the pastor of the church, a high profile leader within the church, someone who is a well-known a person of influence in the church, uh, this becomes really difficult. Uh, questions begin to emerge. Who should be responsible for making the decision on what church discipline looks like? The other question that is not without controversy is what is the extent of restoration? Are we talking about restoring someone just simply back to fellowship with God and the local body of believers? Or are we talking about restoring someone back into ministry? That's an interesting aspect of this question. I'd love to hear from you on this as well. Should a pastor or leader who's fallen into sin be able to be almost requalified, assuming they've disqualified themselves? Could they even requalify themselves so that they might be able to serve and lead again. Phone number is 877-LIVE-675. That's 877-548-3675. You know, I come to this moment presupposing, assuming, if you will, that many of you have also experienced this, that maybe you have been on the side of the equation that needs restoration. And I would love to hear from you. I promise you we would create a safe space for you to call for you to share what worked for you. Maybe you know what it's like uh, to be actively following and pursuing Christ and then to experience a season of moral failure, to, uh, to experience a season where the weakness of your own flesh, your own desires, your own appetites win over your desire to follow Jesus, and uh, you found yourself needing to go through restoration. And um, and maybe you have some good stories of of caring communities walking alongside of you, supplying you with mentorship and maybe even counseling and support. I love to hear those stories, 877-548-3675. Or maybe you've been on the other end of the, the equation, and that is having to be on a committee or be an elder or leader who's uh, responsible for trying to figure all of this out and and mapping out a process for restoring a person or a family or multiple families back to the Lord, reconciling them back to one another. What does that look like? 877-548-3675. One more thought on this, and that is, what about those who are victims of the sin? You know, sin has consequences. Sin often has victims. So what about those who are victims of the sin? How much say-so or input or voice should they have in the restoration process? 
you know, I begin to think about this from a biblical perspective, and I I just want to be transparent on a, on a couple of different levels. One is that I have uh, gone through um, quite extensive amount of education, uh, higher education, undergrad, master's degree, doctoral studies, postgraduate studies. And trust me, I got the debt to prove it. So I've been through a lot of uh, educational classes. And I can't think of one class that was ever offered to me on my pathway to church leadership on um, biblical models for restoration. And I don't think I'm the only pastor that has that as a story. I can't think of one class that took uh, 12 to 15 weeks to say, we're just going to walk through the theology of this, the examples in Scripture. Uh, And the Bible has a ton to say about this. I have several articles in front of me, and one article mentioned, and I thought it was a powerful mention, um, 168 times the Bible mentions restoration of someone who has fallen into sin, uh, sometimes just an encouragement towards that, but there are also examples and models. Man, there are so many examples and models. Think for a moment about uh, John Mark, uh, the uh, nephew of Barnabas, who uh, who uh, bears the title of the second gospel in, in our New Testament, Mark. Uh, this this uh, Mark that we uh, celebrate in the church for writing the second gospel in our New Testament, Um. He was the center of a massive, sharp dispute between Paul and Barnabas. And the Bible says that Barnabas and Paul fell out over him because Paul Paul said he's not qualified for ministry. He abandoned them in their missionary journeys. Uh, In one of their missionary journey, Mark abandoned them, went back home, decided he didn't want to fulfill his calling in Christ, didn't want to follow the mission anymore. We don't know all the background of that, but we do know that Barnabas wanted to see him restore. Paul didn't. And I feel like that's the tension that churches have been living with ever since. Do we restore this brother? Do we not? Well, later on, Paul writes that Timothy, I'm sorry, that uh, Mark, that he wanted Mark to come to him because he was useful for ministry. Well, certainly the Lord saw him, deemed him useful enough for ministry that he wrote the second gospel in our New Testament. What about Peter? The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 2 that Paul rebuked Peter to his face because his behavior was not in step with the gospel, not in keeping with the gospel. Peter, being a Jew, was fellowshipping with Gentiles And then some brothers came to visit from Jerusalem, and they were Jewish of the circumcised sect, the Bible says, and and Peter decided he didn't want to eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was behaving in hypocrisy, not in in love, and uh, others followed his bad behavior, and the Apostle Paul rebuked him to his face wasn't the first time Peter had to be restored, was it? No, he was the one who denied Jesus three times. Peter seemed to have been on the uh, side of being restored on multiple occasions, but praise God, he was restored. We got first and second Peter in our Bibles because he was restored. 
and countless examples throughout Scripture of God using him, not the least of which is the day of Pentecost. So there are examples in Scripture, and there's also commandments that I want to look at today. But there's also the reality that all of us have seen grace misapplied, haven't we? Haven't we seen examples when grace has gone too far, restoring someone who shouldn't be restored? Have you ever had your stomach turned because you see someone out there preaching, teaching, or back in leadership again that you just say their sin was too far gone? It was too gross. It was It's not good to have them in that position. We've all seen judgment go too far. We've seen grace go too far. So with that as a context, I've been doing a lot of uh, reading and studying on this, and uh, and I want to talk about it today. I want to hear from you if you've been on the uh, side of restoration where your sin is overtaking you, and you say, Chris Brooks, I just humbly, maybe you even want to call anonymously. That's fair game. You can do that. But maybe you say, Chris Brooks, I just want to tell my story and just let you know restoration is possible. Somebody may need to hear that today. Maybe you are feeling like Paul described himself as the foremost of sinners. Maybe you feel like the worst of all sinners. But Paul said, but that for that exact reason, Christ forgave him. So that in Paul, the foremost of sinners, that's how Paul felt about himself. God might prove his perfect patience. Maybe God wants to, uh, take your mess and make it into a ministry. Maybe God wants to take your brokenness and turn it into a testimony, but we need to hear those testimonies. 877-548-3675. We also need to hear from those who've um, been in a position, maybe even the unenviable position, I could say, of having to decide what discipline looks like. I want to hear from you. 877 548-3675. I want to say this uh, final word, then we're going to go to break. Galatians chapter 6. Now, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes about what it means to be a spirit-filled Christian, a spirit-led Christian, a, a Christian who is governed by the Spirit. He calls that the fruit of the Spirit. And then as he steps into chapter 6, the question becomes, What does it look like to be a spirit-led Christian in community? Here's his answer. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I think Paul would describe the spirit-filled, spirit-led life as bearing one another's burdens and restoring those who have been overtaken by sin. We're going to talk about it. What's a biblical model of restoration? 877-548-3675. We'll be right back. 
Let's begin this new year by committing ourselves to reading the Bible more and understanding it better. Will you join me? I have a wonderful new resource to keep us on track and inspired. It's Trillia Nubel's new book, 52 Weeks in the Word. This insightful resource even offers days of rest and reflection on what we've read. You can request your copy today with the gift of any amount to equip. Call 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks, 877-548-3675 is the number. That's 877-LIVE-675. Today, uh, we're talking about what does a biblical model of restoration look like when a brother or sister in Christ has fallen into sin? The Bible has a lot to say about that. And I'm going to go to the phone lines, but I don't think it's assumed by many Christians that the church should even have the authority or that I have accountability in a way that the church can prescribe discipline to me. And I just want to just establish that that's something that the Bible presupposes and is all throughout the New Testament, that by being a part of a local church, that you are holding yourself accountable to Christ and to the other body of believers to live according to the word of God. And when we consistently or unrepentantly live outside of that, then the Bible expects and even demands that in protection of the community of believers, that church discipline is mediated. So what does it look like? Let's talk about it. Maybe you agree. Maybe you disagree. I want to hear from you, 877 877- 548-3675. Pastor Greg is listening to me in Washington. Hey, Greg, thank you so much for listening. What's your comment today? Hey, Brother Pastor, I went uh, through this uh, restoration process some 40 years ago in my call to the to the ministry. And in the midst of that call, uh, going through ordination services and all those things, my spouse at the time had a moral failure. And uh, it ended up in her leaving, filing for divorce in the midst of my ordination. And 40 years ago, divorce within the body of Christ was almost the unforgivable sin. Yeah. But the body of Christ and the ordination board of multiple churches that I set uh, under for the ordination uh, showed a a level of agape love to me that boggled my mind. And they didn't just discount my call. They validated my call based upon Mm. the questions and things that they did. And they licensed me into the gospel ministry, and I've been preaching for 40-plus years. Wow! But in the midst of that, several times God prepared me through that my own journey that there will be other pastors whose wives will have moral failures Mm -hmm. and the church will discount their call. And uh, I've had the opportunity to surround pastors with uh, some very godly elders who would actually do what they did with me, and that's to validate the assumptions of some of the body of Christ and be able to, in the event that there was sin, uh, restore that brother to the ministry based upon their calling. 
And, and, you know, and that's very, that's very, very much the heart of God. And he does that just like you mentioned earlier with Peter and Mark and, yeah. you know, yeah. Paul. But, you know, man, we, we got to have that within the church. We have to. You, you bring up a, a, so many wonderful points. First off, I am grateful that you had those loving, godly leaders in your life. And uh, we need examples. And, and I think there are a ton of examples that often don't get publicized or pressed like yours um, that are out there of examples of the church showing kindness while at the same time, structure and accountability, um, it, it, it's a tension. It's not, uh, it's not an easy thing to navigate. It takes wisdom. But Pastor Greg brings up a number of important points. The one point that I just want to press into is what if I'm not the one who had the moral failure, but my spouse or some have had children who have just lived radically disobedient lives? You know, it's interesting because what I don't think many Christians realize is that the Bible does not say everyone is allowed in the church leadership. Not even every gifted or talented person is allowed in the church leadership. Not even every person who has extensive knowledge of Scripture. There are certain qualifications that the Bible says a person needs to have. Now, I know this conversation isn't only about what happens when church leaders fall, but let's just go there for a moment. In 1 Peter 3, Titus 1, I'm sorry, in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and 1 Peter 5, if I was to compile those qualifications, there'd be about 15. I just want to quickly read them. The person, in order to be a pastor, has to be sexually and maritally faithful, a good manager of their household, humble, gentle, sober, peaceful, financially responsible, hospitable, self-controlled, upright in character, committed to holiness, able to teach, spiritually mature, meaning that they're not a new convert, respected by outsiders, those who are not Christians still respect them, and a good example to the flock. Now, all of these are wrapped up in the qualifications for being a leader. Now, the only basis by which I think you could say to a pastor, hey, you need to sit down from serving for a season, maybe not forever, is if you felt their spouse's behavior or their child's behavior fell up under number two, which was a good manager of their household. If you felt that, for example, and, and uh, um, my good friends Rob and Amy Reno talk about this a lot. Rob was a pastor. He was serving youth, but he admitted that he was doing it at the neglect of his home in the early years of his ministry. And Christ really had to send him through some very difficult moments to get him to open his eyes to see, no, you need to prioritize what the gospel looks like in your home so that out of that foundation, healthy ministry can emerge. And I would say there's probably a lot of pastors and leaders who need that wake-up call, who need a loving, caring community of leaders to come alongside of them to say, we love you, but you need to prioritize what the gospel looks like in your home. Now, 
if that's not the case, if if you've been loving and 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 living the gospel in your home, and then your spouse or child decides to reject, I don't see any disqualifying behavior there, not in light of Scripture. I appreciate Pastor Greg giving us a call with your story. Let's go to Robin in Indiana. Um, hey, Robin, thank you so much for calling and your patience. Hi. Uh, what's your uh, what, what would you like to share today? What's your comment? Yes. Um, so I just wanted to share several years ago, we had a family situation where uh, one of the family members was definitely not walking with the Lord. And there was lots and lots of ugly things that were said. Mm. Uh, a lot of family members got just deeply, deeply hurt. And in the middle of that situation, we were also going through, um, our daughter was being treated for leukemia. And uh, so it was, as you can imagine, a very, very difficult time for us. Uh, However, me and my husband felt very, uh, very strongly that the Lord was leading us to walk beside this man and show him Christ's love, but yet have boundaries. So, um, and, and that in itself was difficult after all the horrible things that were said and done. Um, And there was some abuse in there as well. So uh, for God to lead us this way was total, like, he would have to give us the strength to do it. So I would say it's a very long story. But in short, um, the man was completely restored. And in the middle of this whole thing, God gave us the strength to, you know, set up some boundaries, to come alongside him, to pray for him, pray with him. Um, but he, in the middle of this, this man said, how come you keep loving me? Mm. How come you keep coming back to me? Why don't you just kick me out of the family? Why do you, why do you keep accepting me? And, um, you know, our words were because Christ loves us and he did the same for us. So, I mean, just, I I just want to say that sometimes it takes a long time for restoration and it takes lots of patience, lots and lots of prayer, and lots of, you know, it, it's difficult, but only with Christ's help can we do something like this and come alongside someone who is very ugly and it's very hard to be around. Robin, first off, thank you for sharing your story. It's a powerful example of what Christ's love looks like lived out through us. Restoration, I believe, is one of the evidences of the Spirit at work in your life. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Having a great day of interacting with you around the Word of God. It's always my privilege and pleasure to be here with you as we look at Scripture so we can learn how we should live as Christians to more effectively live, share, and defend our faith, which is the mission of the program. If the program is a blessing to you, we would love for you to consider today becoming a monthly partner. Those monthly partners really are the inner circle of our ministry, and through your prayerful and financial support, you enable us to reach uh, men and women in your community with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, through the guests and resources that we offer here on the program. Now, you can become a monthly partner at a gift of any amount on a monthly basis. It allows you to have the uh, knowledge of knowing that every month you're helping to lead people to a relationship with Jesus. So I would love for you to consider that. Dial the number 888 644 
888-644-4144. Become an equipper today, 888-644-4144. So many benefits to that, not the least of which knowing that we're in covenant and uh, relationship together. And I believe it's a blessing, 888-644-4144. We're going to take some more calls today. We're talking about restoration. What is a biblical model for restoration? Should a person who's been overtaken by sin, fallen into sin, be restored? Well, there's two ways to look at look at this, and I'm going to go to the phone lines, but I just want to frame it this way, is that when we talk about restoration, we should talk about it from two perspectives. One is being restored back into fellowship with God and the Christian community, Secondly, is being restored back into uh, leadership or vocational ministry, if you were working at a local church. Now, I think the Bible is pretty clear about being restored back into fellowship, uh, consistently clear, and that that should be the thrust of all we hope for, that we should hope that a person's relationship with God is fixed and restored that the broken relationships they may have with other people or families or persons within the church could be reconciled and mended, uh, that their fellowship back into the body uh, would be the ultimate hope. But I think that, and so that should be a resounding yes, but I think that the question of should someone be restored back into leadership is a far different question, and that's not always a yes. Sometimes the damage they've done to a body of believers is so harmful that restoration into leadership is not possible, at least not there, and maybe not anywhere. But that doesn't mean that they can't be used by God. You don't have to have a title or a job position at a local church to be used by God. There are millions and millions of Christians all over the world being used by God right now And they don't work for the local church. They're not employed by it. They don't have a title. They're just simply being faithful and living out the gospel. Let's go back to the phone lines. I'd love to hear from you. Maybe you've been through restoration yourself. Maybe you've had to be on a committee or part of a group or leadership to walk a person or a family through restoration. What's a biblical model look like? 877-548-3675. Rodney is listening in Alabama. Thank you so much for listening. What's your comment today? Yes. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. I I just wanted to share briefly uh, my story of restoration and 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 my thanks for that opportunity he's given me. It, uh, as a young pastor, I made uh, some bad decisions in my life. Uh, this was uh, a little over twenty years ago. And uh, and through those choices, it led, uh, of course, to a lot of embarrassment as a as a as a figure, as a leader, and uh, and that uh, that embarrassment uh, just led me to to basically hide and uh, and stop going to church altogether. Uh, and after losing basically everything that I had, Chris, I had uh, uh, just I lived several years with. With that burden, that embarrassment, that guilt, and that sin, um, but his continuous uh, outreach to me through people and and through prayer, uh, he 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 did forgive me after I yes. truly repented uh, 
attachment. It took uh, it took me twenty years to of running, and and mm. and I assure you there was there was discipline. I assure you of that, um, yes. and scars that I carry to this day. But um, as far as leadership in the church, I, I, I he he did allow me the opportunity to preach again. Mm. Uh, I didn't know if I wanted to. I didn't know if I would be able to. Uh, but he did allow me that opportunity to, to do that again and to uh, and and to serve him. So there's a lot, still a lot of questions out there. I agree, but I can assure you this: there there is restoration, there is forgiveness. Uh, no, no matter what we've been through in life, he's he's faithful. Uh, un, unlike me, and unlike many others, I'm sure he is faithful. Well, first off, I, I appreciate you giving the call again. I I didn't know what to expect when I came to this topic, but to hear so many stories of uh, men and women who have uh, been just really by act of love restored or been a part of restoration, that is a a truly encouraging story that you just shared, and I appreciate it. But you bring up a point, and I just want to press into this, and thanks, Rodney, for calling. Uh, For those of you who want to join the conversation, it's 877- 548-3675, 888-677-LIVE-6775. But Rodney mentioned a word that I think is vital and crucial to this conversation, and that is repent. He says, after I repented, then I was restored. That's a word that, uh, unfortunately, almost an entire generation has uh, not been taught well on what does repentance look like, and why is that so vital to this entire conversation? Because I think repentance is very important, and uh, and, and and we need to uh, talk about it. What does repentance look like? 877-548-3675. Now, Peter came to the Lord in Matthew 18 and said this question, In verse number 21 of Matthew 18, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times, seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one brought to him, one who was brought to him, who owed him 10,000 talents, which was a, a way of describing money or currency in their day, since he could not pay, said to, said to his master, um, order him to be sold, his master said rather, order him to be sold with his wife and children and all who, and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell to his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, For him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him his debts. Now, I just want to stop there for just a moment. There's a lot more to that story. Uh, For those of you who know it, it's a powerful story of forgiveness and the lie thereof correspondingly. But here's my question. What does repentance look like? In this particular servant's case, it was deep remorse over sin. And I think that that is needed, deep remorse over sin. Going back for just a moment to the original verse 
that I referenced, Paul said in Galatians 6, that brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over your soul, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Listen, the, the thought here is that this person is not only fully aware of their sins, but they're at a place where they feel like, man, I am repentant first before the Lord, then to those who have uh, who I've sinned against. So there is a, a place not only for repentance before the Lord, but restitution of repaying those that you harmed and, uh, and, and a willingness to humble yourself to go through a restoration process as well, and then restrictions, proper boundaries being put in place to make sure that that sin does not happen again. Let's go to the phone lines. I'm up against a break, but I want to get in Pastor Die, who just called from uh, Florida. Pastor, thanks for calling. What's your comment today? Yes, sir. I appreciate uh, you, Pastor Brooks. I think this is so powerful and profound that you're doing this. Uh, I was sharing that I believe in uh, the restorative ministry, uh, but I have two things that there are times I've had situations where a person may have committed adultery and there was a child father, and that person went through uh, the disciplinary action and then were able to be restored with that Galatians 6. But then there was a time I had a situation where someone had uh, a sexual sin that dealt with a minor. And so I understand that that person, that the Bible, God can forgive and the church can forgive, but you cannot be restored uh, to that position anymore in the Lord's church because that was an offense with a child. And so your ministry can continue because you can do online ministry or whatever, but in the Lord's church dealing with now being a, a sexual offender, uh, that that person can't hold the position, I feel, in, in the church based off of that particular offense. And then the other thing I like to say is that there's times when people want uh, to be restored with, without restitution and without repentance. And Paul put it this way, he said, godly sorrow worketh repentance. And so I believe that if someone wants restoration, the restorative ministry, they should humble themselves and repent, but I believe we're living in a cultural context where people don't want to repent and yes. then uh, pay yes. restitution and then have that restorative ministry. Yeah, that, the repentance. I remember uh, older brother in Christ who was a prayer, prayer partner of mine, Pastor Die, who said to me, "Repentance is more than apologies, and uh, it, it requires restitution. And restitution is the question of how do I make whole." those that I've harmed. If we're going to talk about a biblical process of restoration, it has to include that question uh, that Jesus uh, asked uh, Zacchaeus, will you repay those that you've harmed? And Zacchaeus's response is, I will repay fourfold those that I've harmed, Lord. And uh, and this is uh, the heart, I think, of true repentance, the sense that if I've harmed someone, I will not only repay them, but go above and beyond, do whatever it takes to make it right. This is a heart that a spouse 
who's been in adultery has to have. This is the heart of someone who has committed financial improprieties has to have. This is the heart of somebody who has been abusive, that I'll get the help, the accountability that I need to get. I'll submit to whatever restrictions need to be put in place. Not this sense of entitlement, not this sense of negotiating uh, from a position of um, I don't deserve this type of punishment, uh, but a sense of I'll do whatever it takes. Uh, Pastor Dye, thank you for the call. He referenced 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10, which simply says this, for godly grief or sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Oh man, do we need more sermons, more messages, more people who are praying, Lord, give me godly sorrow. And I pray that that's you and me, that we're praying that. Much more to come next up on Equip with Chris Brooks right after this. take a moment to thank all of our new equippers. Your monthly gifts provide a program of passionate Bible teaching aimed at equipping and mobilizing Christians from every walk of life to make disciples among the nations. You can join this growing family of believers and become an equipper yourself today. And when you do, you'll receive special weekly updates and resources that will encourage you and keep you up to date on what's happening in the world. Call today, 888-644-4144 or simply go online at equipradio.com. When you listen to Equip, you know I love to introduce you to some incredible guests and topics. But there's one person that I want you to meet more than anyone else. His name is Jesus, and he wants to have a genuine personal relationship with you. He even died on the cross to take the punishment for all of our sins so that we can join his eternal family. It would be my honor to introduce you to Jesus today. Simply call 877-548-3675. Again, give us a call at 877-548-3675. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Every day I'm reminded we could not be here without God's grace and your generosity. So I want to say thank you. Thank you to Ellen from Cleveland, Ohio, who became a monthly partner. Glenn, also from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, who became a monthly partner. Also, Lynn, from California, who became a monthly partner. So appreciate you. Also, thank you to Irene, supported the program today. God bless you, Irene, from Washington. So appreciate your generosity. Phone number 877-LIVE-675. Going to go to the phone lines. An anonymous caller calling from Tennessee. Thank you for calling today. What's your comment? Yeah, I was just calling because um, I felt like the Lord put it on my heart. Um, so a few years ago, I was listening. It was randomly. It was just I was still in a broken and a lost place and uh, happened to hear the radio. And it was your ministry that awakened me, um, and I got saved. Um, so it was the first time I'd really heard the gospel clearly. And uh, since then, I've been on a, a journey and a process of a lot of healing and um, forgiveness and learning and relearning a lot of things later in life. So I was 29 and uh, now I'm 33. Praise God. Well, what a wonderful uh, testimony and it's so encouraging in my heart. It's great to hear that God is uh, at work in your life. How's your life been different since? 
Uh, everything's been different. You know, it was just like a complete whirlwind. Um, it was very wild in my life in the past. Um, and I think you kind of hit on a lot of things. And that's why I was wanting to stay anonymous. I didn't really want to go into grave detail. But sure, I was just wild living, living however I wanted to sure. and just lost in sin completely. And uh, I really, to this day, I'm kind of speechless about the whole thing because it was just genuinely him just pulling me out of this complete mess that I'd created for years and years and years. And, uh, you know, I'm still in a, like I said, it's a long journey and I'm, I'm having to relearn a lot of things, but, um, it's awakened me, it's stirred me and I've gotten connected at a church and, uh, met some really good brothers that I've been fellowshipping with and, uh, getting involved with. And then I have a, you know, want to be able to evangelize too, and be able to share, you know, what, what he's done for me and what he's, what he's continuing to do for me. Well, you know, I was uh, told once by a brother in Christ that God has blessed you so that you might be a blessing. And I just pass it on to you that he rescues us so that he might use us to help others to experience his grace and be rescued as well. Appreciate you calling. So grateful you listened that day and that you're listening still and that God is at work in your life. God bless you, brother. Take care. Appreciate you. Listen, uh, this whole thing of restoration may sound like a painful process, and when you're in the middle of it, I won't lie to you, it's not easy. But this is what God has called us to. It's clear to me that when the Apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, that the application of the fruit of the Spirit is shown in love. It's not shown in us puffing out our chest and being prideful. You know, Pastor Greg Laurie, who do, does a lot of evangelism and crusades, he, he says this, Some read Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1 as, Brothers, if a man is overtaken in the fault or sin, you who are spiritual should condemn them and then make sure you tell as many people as you can what they've done. Well, obviously, his point is is that that's not how the verse reads. The verse tells us that we should seek to restore that person in a spirit of gentleness and also helping them to experience the burden-lifting grace of Christ. If that's going to happen, it seems to me that there's three things that are needed. Number one is community, a loving, Christ-centered community. This presupposes that. His first word in chapter 6, verse number 1 is brothers. It is him speaking affectionately to the family of faith. Secondly, confrontation is needed. You know, you can't say that you have a good community of People are being hurt, and you're just overlooking it or ignoring it. So don't be offended if leaders come to you and say, hey, your behavior needs to change. It's their responsibility because if the community is going to be a loving, Christ-centered community, then we have to confront sin or mistreatment within it. But the third thing is we need compassion. We need those who have experienced the grace of Christ, experienced the love of God, in such a deep and profound way that they can share it with others, not through compromise, but in gentleness and a firmness that says we have to live in a way that shows the difference that Christ makes in our lives. But never forgetting the goal. The goal in it all is restoration, first to God and then to one another. Friends, I hope this has been helpful. I know it's been edifying for me hearing from you. 
I pray that you would share it with others as well. Go to our social media pages. Let your voice be heard and click that share button so others can benefit. Until we're together again next time. As always, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks. It's a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Hey there, folks. Chris Brooks here. Join me for Equip as we delve into the current trends that are facing Christians today in culture. From the office to the street to your family and the home, we're going to prepare you to give an answer for the hope that lies in you in Christ. Your calls are always front and center. We want to hear from you as we learn to walk by faith and live like Jesus. Listen live weekdays at 1 Eastern, noon Central on the Moody Radio app or EquipRadio.org.